Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and uh, make a musical playlist. Uh, I'm Matt Cable, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California, and Lutheran Campus Ministry at uh, USC, Northridge, West LA, and various other local colleges. I'm Zach Ferris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder, America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, uh, Naropa University. That's all I have time for this week, man. I have to actually do that job this week, so I can't add. <laughs> well, one of our listeners described to me as a cute-ass uh, extra job title we add at the end. <laughs> I'm still shocked that we have listeners. I, you know, I, uh, we're getting, <laughs> Nadia's going to keep us afloat for another week, I think. <laughs> That's great. Well, um, rather than talk about what we're up to in our professional lives, maybe we should talk about what we've been, uh, the podcast that we've been listening to all year. When did it all start? Year? I have no oh, idea. <laughs> I think earlier this year, in the fall, maybe. I feel like I jumped in. Let's talk about, let's not talk about what we're talking about and continue to talk about it. <laughs> So, Go for it, Zach. Matt, you directed me to this podcast, I think. Um, the folks over at Earwolf, headed up by Scott Ackerman, uh, Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott, first had a podcast called You Talking, You Two, To Me. Uh, yeah. And, a, and again, I don't have time, money, or interest in learning about You Two, so that wasn't very... <laughs> yeah, and I discovered that podcast. Like, I was like, you're looking for a YouTube podcast? And I was like, oh, Adam Scott, like, I know that guy. And so, like, I started listening to it, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Because they just talked, like... They just like shoot the shit for like an hour, an and hour for the actually talk, and like for the first like episode, like I was like, I don't know if I can, but then by the I think probably by the third episode that I listened to, I was completely in, like I was just all in, even though it made no sense, it was not what I planned on. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting uh, comedy improv uh, music podcast, and then uh, this year they decided to go with another band, who I guess is like Adam Scott's favorite band. Uh, yeah. And I was like, Zach, you should, and I think I texted you and I was like, Zach, you should listen to this. I don't know if you will like it or not. <laughs> Check it out. You're either going to love it or hate it. One or the other. I fell in love immediately because number one, it made me feel like, wow, we really stay, uh, we stay on task on our podcast. <laughs> and number two, the best part, the thing that you'll never get to experience is that I took a group of like 10, 15 students to Holden Village for spring break this year. Uh, which is really a journey, even just from Colorado, because you got to fly to Seattle and you got to drive like three and a half hours up to up to the the lake to get on the ferry. And there's no uh, uh, my uh, my minivan that I rented did not have an aux cord, uh, or it did. I controlled it. That's right. I made students listen to Are You Talking to REM Remy uh, for the entire time, uh, and they all wanted to kill me. Uh, there was a coup staged, but I not only got to enjoy. Enjoy the podcast, but I got to enjoy uh, putting students into into misery. So, uh, so here's the thing, listeners: if you check out this podcast, I, I really think you will either love it or hate it. I don't think there's like an in between. No. Um, but there's just there's a lot of improv and like rabbit holes that they go down um, that you are either into or not. But one of the things that I thought was really great about it was that it um, they really, despite their like uh, silliness and distractedness, they they really do have a love for music. I mean, especially Adam Scott, like just has this like he uh, loves Ari so much. He's just hard on his sleeve. Like he's so hard on his sleeve about loving 
Um, all right, yeah, it was the same thing with you too, right? Where like Scott Ackerman would be like, yeah, like I'm not really sure about this song. And, all right. <laughs> and I'm just gonna feel like I just, I love it. The song's incredible. It's just, it's so amazing. <laughs> and then they'll go through, but they'll go through like where they were in their lives, like when the music came out. And I guess that got me thinking too about like, well, where was I when I heard this song? And like, um, really kind of opening up the way that music um, hits us, especially especially in like the formative years of our lives, I think, especially. Yeah. Um, and that you really do. This kind of came through when they were they interviewed you too a couple of episodes ago, and they were actually talking about this the way that like um, sometimes you're not reviewing like a song objectively, but you're 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 talking about when you talk about the song, you're also talking about like the way you connected to that song, where you were at that time, right? Because um, that's what music really has the power to do, and so um, which is what the Bible so, does, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you don't have a favorite Bible story because it's like per- the perfect narrative, right? You have a favorite Bible story because of the ways uh, where it found you in life at that particular time and place. Mm. Yep. And so for me, Matt, R.E.M. Uh, is that group. We talked to Nadia last week a little bit about her musical puberty. Uh, I was <laughs> which sounds way less appropriate than it is. Um, but R.E.M. was, for me, uh, my musical puberty uh, soundtrack. Um, and so we wanted to, to pay tribute to Are You Talking R.E.M. Remy uh, and, and, and dive into our nerd hole. Uh, gosh, we really need to <laughs> clean up this podcast. Um, and I thought we'd bring on a guest. Matt, uh, who might share in some of our R.E.M. Uh, fandom. And so I thought of uh, the Lutheran World Reliefs, Chandler character, who the last time, like, I was trying to think of how I know Chandler, and the last time I can remember seeing Chandler uh, was at, I was on internship in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was at, like, the uh, southeastern Senate thing at Lutheridge. Chandler was playing an acoustic uh, guitar in some room covering R.E.M. Like, probably Drive. I want to say Drive. Uh, and so uh, Chandler's with us. Hey, Chandler. Hey. Hey, Zach. Hey, Matt. Uh, great to be here with y'all and talking about two things I like, the Bible and R.E.M. <laughs> I, I I won't rank those two. <laughs> How can you rank things that are one and the same? Um, yes. So what do you before we go too far down the REM hole? Uh, do you have do you have a job title or are you just you are Lutheran World Relief? <laughs> hardly, hardly. Um, I am so at LWR. I'm the associate director of outreach and engagement, and what that means, what I get to do is I get to engage with Lutherans here in the U.S. and help them put their faith into action with through all of the awesome stuff that my colleagues are doing all around the world to help break the cycle of poverty and make a difference all around the world. Um, so from hands-on stuff like quilts and kits and, and things like that to educational resources to their financial giving, all of these different things I get to engage with and really empower Lutherans to make a difference in places that are thousands and thousands of miles away from them in, uh, in ways that are huge and enormous and really proclaim that abundance of God uh, in the world. So that's the awesome job I get to do. Cool. Cool. I don't want to tell you how to do your job, Chandler, but just an idea, okay? <laughs> what if you sold albums in a larger case than people are used to? I mean, well, like now anything would be physically tangible, would be larger, and you could include a voter registration card 
right, as a part of the album sale to drive oh up gosh. voter registration. I don't know if you thought of that. Are you talking about like the yeah. CD boxes? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, did you ever hear the podcast? Um, of, what was it called? 99% Invisible. It was about the design of that long box for yeah. out of time and the impact that had on voting that year. Yeah. Uh, it's really incredible. Go back and look for it. Crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I bet, I bet somewhere in my parents' attic, they've still got boxes of stuff, and it probably has. I used to take those long boxes and cut them out and make little posters out of them and put them all over my wall. Uh, and I, I probably have the automatic for the people long boxes probably somewhere. <laughs> I know. So, Chandler, when... It's a question completely ripped from Are You Talking R.E.M. or Me. When's the first time you heard R.E.M.? Yeah, I think, I mean, I came to music and started getting into it just about the time that, like, Out of Time and Losing My Religion was hitting really big. Um, uh, but I didn't get into that. It was actually my older brother giving me a copy of Life's Rich Pageant. Because mm. um, I, had, I, I, had, I was blessed not only to grow up with a great brother, but a cool older brother who was into music a couple of years ahead of me. And that's always helpful when it comes to music. <laughs> um, and so um, he said, no, 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 you don't want to start with this stuff. This is their best album. And so he gave me life's respect. And, uh, and that's really what got me into them. And then from there, I just, and I was, you know, I was all caught up by the time automatic for the people came out. And then that just, actually, I hated it for two months. And then I did my <laughs> I clearly remember going, mm, no, and then two months into it, yeah. that album just blew my mind. So, so yeah, that's that's how I got into them. Wow, yeah, Automatic is so different from 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 Out of Time. Yeah, yeah, they just, uh, I mean, and it's different from you know, I spent the months before that diving into everything from Murmur to you know, document to all this stuff. And so I liked big, noisy guitars. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what got me into music was big, noisy guitars. It was the grunge era. And like I was in a band playing, you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana covers. And then along comes an album that is all acoustic guitar and folks. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, I, like, I want to listen to Crosby, Stills and Nash. <laughs> but then, you know, two months in, I'm like, okay, I get it. This is really good. Huh. Did you uh, Life's Rich Pageant? Was that a was that a tape or a compact disc? That was that was a tape. I Oof. had not uh, I had not made the jump yeah. into CDs yet. So I had yeah, I probably had a couple albums on cassette, and then um, and then I can remember one of my many you know true confession here. One of my many fake names to Columbia <laughs> yes. House got uh, got a couple of copies of uh, CDs. Of, yeah. I think we all can just own up to that now. I think we need like a 30 for 30 on how critical that that scheme was in the development of just a generation of people. Yeah. Because um, my story with R.E.M., right, uh, is just most the, the most uh, puberty-ish centric story. Uh, I go to summer camp. I went to YMCA Camp Greenville. And the summer before sixth grade, my counselor was super cool. Uh, Stuart, he had long red hair. Uh, he uh, got me super into Magic the Gathering uh, is one of the things he did, of course. Uh, and then uh, we had camp dance, and the last song of camp dance was always It's the End of the World as We Know It. And Stuart was super into R.E.M., and so I knew R.E.M. was cool. <clears throat> I come back, uh, and I, I start scamming Columbia House and just getting all of the R.E.M. albums uh, that they have. 
so um, it was t- in, 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 in chronology, uh, it was maybe around the time of Ad- Adventures in Hi-Fi, but it was such, again, pre-internet, like in Lincoln to North Carolina, uh, or Boger City, North Carolina. I didn't, didn't hear a lot of what was really happening in the music world, you know? I didn't really know about that. I knew about Monster. I definitely had Monster. Um, I skipped full confession. I went with eponymous instead of trying to like waste, I don't know if waste is the right word, use all of my free 16 CDs on the back IRS years when I could just get eponymous. Cause that was a decision people made during the time of CDs. You know, like you had to determine if it was worth buying the whole album if you just liked one song uh, and you don't even know what's on the rest of the album. So I did that. And then the thing as I moved into high school is when Up came out. And so I had been listening to all the back, uh, the catalog, really coming up to it. And it, all the, there was a lot of hype around Up. And I didn't have cable, but my friends had MTV. Uh, and they hated when I came over because I just wanted to watch TV. But there was a lot of hype. I got into it. I had a, had a VHS copy of Behind the Music with R.E.M. at the time that was really centered on Bill Berry. Uh, you know, and I watched that over and over and over again in my parents' basement, uh, unfinished basement. I can still see see it all so so clearly. And then forever, I was ashamed. I've always like until recently, I was ashamed of how into up I was because I was so into it, <laughs> and just like it felt like nobody else was. No shame, no shame. Now, if you said you were up to, you're into uh, around the sun. Then we <laughs> yes. can talk. But yeah, no shame about up. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So you asked me to make like, like a, you said we were going to do like a top five or top 10 sure. REM songs. Uh, and then I was like, how am I going to do that? And so then I just did it autobiographically. <laughs> Traced nice. my life. Um, so I won't, I won't go through them now, but that's, but it got me thinking about, um, about it. Yeah. Like I just remember, so I remember the big hit. I remember losing my religion when I was in like elementary school, middle school. Like I remember that being in the ether. I just like I have a singular memory. Like when I think of that song, I have like a singular memory of being in the gym <laughs> in PE class. I don't know why, right? But just like it just comes in my head. And then when I was in high school, somebody made me. Um, one of my friends made me a mixtape. You know, like you could still like you had a cassette tape and you could do that, right? Like people did that as a thing. And he made me a mixtape of all of his REM songs from like really from the 80s like it was it was it, it covered the gamut and i remember orange crush on that one um but but that mixtape that he made me was really influential um and then i didn't do i don't think i did the like the 10 cds for a penny but i had friends that did and they would have like man i can't fill my quota you know and they would be like do you want is there anything you want you know like they'd be like anything you want and i'd be like Oh, I really love like these three REM CDs. So I got Out of Time, Automatic, and Monster, and I remember listening to those a lot in college. Like those three. <laughs> yeah, such scruples, man. It's just scrupulous. Yeah, so I, I, no, it wasn't that. It was just like, yeah, I got. I was able to glom on. Um, and then I feel like I super. I, I have a tendency to do this. Like I'll get into a band like when they're at their nadir, right? Like not when they're at their peak. Uh, and so like I was super into REM around like the year two thousand, and like. Uh, and so into like, I, like, I remember getting around the sun the day it came out, right? Like, and it, I feel like it was around the election and I just like, I remember all that stuff going on and it's, it's not an album that I, I don't, I don't know, but I just, I remember getting it the day of and having high hopes, right? <laughs> like, I just, I remember that. Um, but then I was super into Accelerate too. And so I remember that came out in seminary and I would, I just, yeah, I got super into Accelerate. And for some reason, 
cannot like when that podcast got to collapse into now i could not remember anything from that album and then i went back and listened to it and i'm like this is incredible i think if i would have known it was their last album i would have mm. listened to it definitely yeah. it came out um but yeah i've i feel like i would listen to michael stipe sing the phone book because i just think he has such an incredible voice and that's the way i would describe it like yeah and he still does like did you all hear like when they were doing those david bowie tributes like a year ago in new york and he did ashes to ashes no. and there's there's recordings of it on youtube and he still his voice might be getting better as he gets older <laughs> which is crazy because now yeah. he doesn't have a band to like write good songs for him i don't trust him to write good songs <laughs> <laughs> right yeah but his voice is still incredible. Yeah. yeah, no, I feel the same way about you too. Like, I don't think Bono could have a solo career. Like, he needs the other band members to yeah. keep him like, on the ground. You know, I I respect them so much for like for like calling it a day and being like, nope, we feel like we've done our, our thing. I get it, but I I still crave new music. <laughs> yeah, you know. So my my story about real quickly that we learned about you know, where we were when we found out about them. Actually, I still, the clearest memory I have about them is finding out that they were breaking up. Um, mm-hmm. I have this uh, friend who always seems to text me right at the moment that big things happen in the world. And, but I don't know about it yet. Um, and so I had a friend text me. I was actually just a couple of weeks into my job at uh, Lutheran world relief. And I was riding a train through Baltimore and I got this text that, that said like, well, I guess it's the end of the world. <laughs> Stacks <laughs> and I'm just like, at Paul, I have no idea. I have no idea what you mean. And I get this. There's this long pause, and then, oh, sorry, <laughs> go here, go here. And it's, oh. it's, it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, did you see? I don't know if you last week. Um, there were some articles. So Ariana Grande put out a new single, and the single's title was REM. And so, like, there were some articles that were like, REM fans got really excited for a second, and then, and then we're sadly disappointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't want to ever see them come back together. I just, I, I'm okay with it. Um, yeah. Peter Buck's doing enough good stuff on his own. Mike Mills is yeah. doing good stuff. Bill Berry, I'm sure, is you know out there plowing a field somewhere well the farmer i mean it's just it's perfect it's perfect yeah yeah so how do you want to do this like you want to dive into texts or do you want to uh we should probably do text right okay people, <laughs> That's we'll, what people and we'll come, come you for. and then we'll come back around for more music yeah i think that makes sense right okay. so we just finished the summer of david bowie um because that was what the semi-continuous texts were about and then it ended with like solomon and now the lectionary gets so weird so last year it was super easy because it was like Genesis and then you had Exodus all fall and Exodus is great. Um, but now it's like the lectionary wasn't sure what to do with itself. So we went from Solomon to, I guess, um, the great albums of Solomon, like Song of Solomon. Now we're going to get, hmm. um, right? Like, I don't know. Like, Tribute band to Solomon? Yeah, and then we get Song of Solomon. So we get this, uh, I think this is the only one from Song of Solomon. I think next week we're in like Proverbs or something. Um, so, <laughs> so where we were in our lives, uh, where we first heard these songs, I distinctly remember getting like a confirmation Bible or something in like middle school 
and it was like one of these like it was like a newer it was like a new translation it was like a fresh like young hip translation and my friend turned me on to it and i was like mom i need this bible and like when it seems so cool and you like your mom's like your kid wants the bible like, yeah and i was like that's great that's what right so like Nerd. and we discovered i don't know if my friend did first or how but we discovered song of solomon and it was like the it was like the adult magazine of the bible right because there's some like and i just i just remember that right like going to it like oh my god like you know like it was like the it was yeah it was the secret like uh dirty magazine that you would hide under your bed uh book of the bible for a for an adolescent right that's that's just I, that's just how i remember it um so yeah, that's that's the memory that comes in my mind. Wow. So, so, mm-hmm. so definitely lead with that this week, preacher. <laughs> Unfortunately, this text is not racy at all. It's uh, it's just uh, I don't know. It's like a pretty low poem. But even though it's not uh, um, rated PG thirteen, um, it is kind of interesting. So. The voice of my beloved, look, he comes leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved's like a gazelle or a young stand. Look, he sat, he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice, um, which just made me think of the police every breath you take. Like he's like, who, like, who is this guy, right? Like, what are you, he's yeah. just a keeper? I don't, I don't know. That, that part sounds a little odd to me. And then it kind of switches voices and the beloved speaks and says, arise, my love, and come away. And starts talking about the winter transitioning to summer, which seems like the wrong time of year for that. Um, it's a very springtime thing. It ends again with that refrain, almost like a song, right? You get this refrain coming back, arise, my love, uh, and come away. Uh, the little commentary on it in the like uh, lectionary reader guide or whatever is like, this is love poem. It's read at weddings with some frequency. I cannot imagine this at my wedding. Like, there's no way I would have picked. I would have picked this. Uh, there's just something odd about it. And I guess, I mean, like, just too like, it's it's sort of too one note to me. And it makes me think about like, um, so you like so Bono sometimes talk, like they don't have like U two doesn't have like like a like a sappy love song. I don't feel like there's usually like Bono calls it like an acid drop in the middle of it somewhere right like you can't have just like a pure like love so there's got to be some like like they have this uh recent single uh you're the best thing about me and then the next line is like it means it's easy to destroy right like so there's always like a there's always like a little acid drop in the in the in the love song and there's no acid drop in this one like i don't know what to it's just a little i don't know what do you do with that um mainly because i don't know how to i don't know how you preach on it's too happy and Zach, maybe it's because um, we're like Enneagram fours and we're okay with melancholy that we'd prefer like a more melancholy text. I can't. He, <laughs> I don't know. Matt uh, Chandler, a, a bit of background on Matt's uh, marital situation uh, is that Matt really wanted uh, their 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 first dance at the reception to be to, to Bruce Springsteen's. Uh, what's the name of it? If I fall behind, is that the? Oh yeah, it's a beautiful song. <laughs> If I should fall behind, wait for me. It's a beautiful song. Crystal's like, no. <laughs> so, yeah, surprising that you would not be like the voice of turtle doves. Uh. <laughs> I, I think you got me beat there. My first dance was uh, was Marry Me by the Drive-By Truckers. So, uh, oh. <laughs> I think I win because mine was R.E.M. Uh, oh, there you it go. It was not. Really? Yeah. 
<laughs> was it at my most beautiful? Of course it was. Yeah. Which is not unrelated to this, because it's a little creepy too. A little yeah. creepy too. I count your eyelashes. Yeah, I was also thinking about Be Mine off of uh, New Adventures in Hi-Fi. That's, uh, I've actually heard one of the guys in the band call that their Every Breath You Take. Hmm. Kind of compare it to that. A little stalkery. <laughs> wow. Like, I want to be your Christmas tree or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really wanting to turn the, another person into their, their own little religion. <laughs> which fits so good i was surprised i was glad that this worked out this way gosh because the guy like gospel because the gospel um because the gospel right uh it has to do with purity uh uh, purity laws around food right um the pharisees and the scribes come from Jerusalem, gather around jesus and they notice his disciples were eating with defiled hands without washing them um if you're looking for a, a joke that's definitely going to hit in the in the pulpit, but not at the open mic stand, uh, here you go. Uh, this is free. Feel free to use this, everybody. Um, the Pharisees were upset with that. Wait till they find out about middle schoolers. Am I right? Um, <laughs> wow. Wow, only on the Vital Preacher. You're not going to get that on Working no, Preacher. No, they don't have a comedy section at all on the Working Preacher. <laughs> Nor do they ever talk about R.A.M. Um, anyway, comes down to do we got to wash our hands or not. The tradition that had been handed down by the elders, which is a fun phrase, the tradition of the elders uh, was that you had to be ritually clean to eat. Um, and so the Pharisees who come from out of town, upset that the disciples are not washing their hands, they're eating with defiled hands. And Jesus flips the doll on his head and he says, the things that come inside of you do not defile you, but the things that come out of you do. Um, cause, and we cut the part about pooping, which I'm never okay with. If there's pooping in the Bible, there's pooping in the pulpit. <laughs> Um, right we cut out the part where he says uh, do you fail to understand do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile since it enters not the heart but the stomach and then goes out into the sewer Um, yes Uh, oh wow so there you go here are my nuggets Matt I got nuggets for you a little bit of Greek I was curious about this word defile because it seems super strong and definitive and slightly yeah. triggering it's it's a coin ice i think is how you'd say it it's a derivative of like koinonia it's common communal um which is so different from how i hear defile uh it's with common hands uh like anybody would have and in fact this is the only time uh mark seven is where we are is the only time in the gospels that that word is that defile is used the only other time it's used in uh you get it in Acts, it's the same word as when they held all things in common. Uh, same word. Same word. Wow. Chapter 2 and 4 there in Acts. Um, so, oh gosh. So I think that's probably the better distinction here than getting caught up in like ritual purity. Um, our good friends with the social yeah. science commentary note that uh, Robert Molina say that it was only like the extremely elite and wealthy who had the time and money to maintain ritual purity. And so they pit it as this, uh, the tradition of the, the great tradition and the little tradition is what they call it. Um, so it really is this, uh, how do you live with common hands or with these like elite pure hands? Yeah. Yeah. Chad Meyer's commentary talks about that too, that that like, 
but it's 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 not just um it's not just a, a debate about purity but um i mean so there's both the the economic aspect right so in inside the community um it's easier for the wealthy folks to do this but it's also a way of keeping out the gentiles a way of keeping out these inside having this insider outsider group going on right um so it's ethnic, it's social, it's economic, and um, and there's some breaking down barriers going on there. It made me think about, um, you know, we hear a lot in the the immigration um, debate. Uh, we hear from the the centers of power, like we can't have this like this bad these bad people or this bad like it's almost like we're gonna have this infection coming in from outside that's somehow gonna infect like our community, right? And Jesus is like. Um, no, like it's it's inside you, right? Like it's not like this is going to come from outside and somehow like the call is um, coming from inside the house, right? The call is coming from inside the house, and I, I like when I, I didn't, I couldn't quite wrap my mind around um, what Jesus was getting at until it, that kind of hit me, um, and it was like no, like this is yeah. As I was looking at this um, this week, uh, thinking about this, I mean, for me as someone who's in kind of the humanitarian social services work of the church and as a deacon, I mean, for me, I read this and I, I feel like this is the perfect encapsulation of kind of like Luther's sin boldly. Um, mm-hmm. In some ways, Jesus is kind of saying like, look, a lot of these, a lot of these things get in the way of you reaching out and touching and being engaged with the people. Um, these are just laws that you've set up. Um, to kind of keep some distance rather than why don't you breaking some of these laws and see how close it gets you to the people, which is where I am. Uh, and, uh, and, and so that's what I, as I kept reading through this um, in, in preparation for, for this, that's, that's what I kept thinking about. And I, I, I am, uh, you know, I'm actually not a fan of Luther's symbol because I think it's so completely misconstrued. <laughs> No offense to you two guys, but on, oh, on yeah. every Lutheran campus ministry T-shirt that it ends right. up on, <laughs> it's been it's been totally misconstrued. Yeah. But this is a great yeah. application of it, where it says, "No, dive in, get your hands dirty. If you make a mistake, that's why I'm here, um, because because you're going to have to make mistakes when you get involved with people's lives." Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's a it's a great lead up to uh, God's work, our hands Sunday. There you go. I'm in, right? God's work are defiled hands. <laughs> but it is like it is getting your hands dirty, right? Like I, I do think that's I do think you can do some stuff with that, right? So yeah. Matt, if you're gonna do that stuff and you want it some ways that be like really uh, high integrity with the Greek, uh, uh, nipto is the word for to wash. Nipto, uh, not used that often in the Gospels, but. Uh, John 9, John 13, uh, in Matthew 6 is where you would look. Uh, which, John 9, man born blind, go wash in the pool of Siloam, right? What, is, what does it mean to wash your hands? Uh, it means to be part of that healing work out in the world. John 13, Jesus washing the disciples' feet against service. Exterior pointed, not like this interior uh, purity stuff. Uh, and then Matthew 6 is uh, when you fast, put oil on your face and wash, which is completely antithetical to the idea that we have to maintain some personal purity for the sake of whatever. Yeah. And hey, let me just say, if you're looking to get out there in the world and get your hands dirty, Lutheran World Relief has some great ways to do that. How our, might we do that? Well, you know, we've got school kits, personal care kits, uh, quilts, blankets, things like that that get sent directly around the world to folks 
meeting them often in the deepest, darkest places there in their lives. And, uh, and uh, folks can really get their hands onto that sort of service. Um, and then, you know, giving to support the kind of, and, and our work really does give your hands dirty around the world because we focus on farmers and we focus on um, kind of grassroots engagement with communities to build up their economies and build up their lives. So um, you got to get your hands dirty if we're going to make a difference in poverty. So the obvious REM connection with the gospel uh, is uh, it's losing my religion, right? Uh, Jesus, like, you can't have a conversation about REM, uh, the theology of REM, uh, without at least talking about losing my religion. Though, right, like, it's there's a lot of uh, hand-wringing and stuff, and uh, that losing my religion is intended as a phrase about worrying and anxiety. Uh, and yet... For our for our purposes, uh, Jesus is kind of telling them to lose their religion, right? Yeah. Which is a worrisome thing. Well, if it's getting in the way, you know, if it's getting in the way of actually getting out there and engaging people and where you actually find and encounter Jesus, then, yeah, his call for them to set it aside is pretty good. Um, I, I love the quote. I mean, Zach, this might be why you and I love the Matthew Therese, Southern Dan. he just got the phrase from his grandma who would always say it and she was a good southern woman (laughs) that's what i love we we did an episode a while back i don't know if you're if you know um christina murray uh is a clemson alum was in campus ministry when i was in campus ministry and uh is now a singer-songwriter in nashville um, and had spent some time in Boulder, so we actually reconnected. We were here, and she came on the podcast, and we talked a little bit about some of the tensions of like dealing with like Southern identity. And that's certainly a part of what I love about REM is that they are absolutely a Southern band, but then, but they're also like super. I remember the line still, like uh, from behind the uh, behind the music, uh, where I think it's it's one of the mics. Uh, <laughs> either uh michael stipend or uh or uh michael myers uh who said like that <laughs> of part of why they fit and worked uh in the south is because of like that there's a certain queerness to the south that makes room for the eccentric uh and the odd i mean and that's the like that's the nuance that you don't get from from lots of southern yeah, music. yeah. and you know, the southerness of R.E.M. too, I think, connects to why we're talking about them with theology. And I mean, because the South is and I think still is personally, even with all the modernization of, you know, I'm sitting I'm right here close to Charlotte, one of the big modern glowing cities of the South. But it, the South is still a Christ haunted landscape mm-hmm. um, from like writers like Walker Percy and Flannery O'Connor. And R.E.M. sits like right in the middle they of that. Do. And even though they're not like as 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 people like they are not a christian band and any they're not a band of you know people who claim this as their faith or anything like that at least as far as i know and actually i love that there's i don't care i love that there's mystery about that because that's one of the things that's great about them as a band but their language and their mythology and everything sits in the middle of that kind of christ haunted landscape of the south and so that's why i think there's so much imagery you can find when you're trying to look for imagery for your own preaching or or your own just faith journey that you can find there in rem's music 
whether you're a Southerner or not, I think yeah. you can. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's a conversation no, we have on the podcast a lot. Right? Yeah. What makes a song Christian or religious? Yeah. Uh, is it the intent, like of the of the songwriter, or is it the experience yeah. that we have with it? And I think REM as a band, and especially Michael Stipe as like a lyricist, would really point towards that experience mm-hmm. of what's the experience of the person listening to it. Um, one of the most important things, like little kind of hints along the way that REM dropped about their songwriting was in some interview, Michael Stipe talked about um, this Walker Percy, who's this great Southern author. If you haven't read Moviegoer or... Um, yeah. Love and time and ruins of our age. But but what the book talks about the stake as better. And and you know Michael Stipe's lyrics are very like I mean they especially early on like there's just he doesn't even know what he's saying half the time. But he's kind of putting together these word pictures that sound you can't even like, understand what he's saying. Yeah, even if you like had the lyrics, you wouldn't know what he's well, saying. You'd, you know, when they would tour in like near the end of their career, he was always making jokes about like, look, these are the lyrics I found on some internet website that <laughs> yeah. I said. But it's that it's that it's it's drawing a kind of a it's drawing up a painting with their words and letting whatever mistakes might happen form meaning in that time. Um, and you know, I, I think that's what's really interesting about them a lot as as artists and also as people trying to get whatever message they're trying to get across, they're not doing it in a heavy-handed, ham-fisted kind of way. I mean, which is, it's always kind of funny that they get lumped together with U2 because that's one of the biggest differences. (laughs) You know, you've got your heavy-handed Bono. This is the message I'm trying to tell you. Um, And then Michael Stipe's like, I don't know, whatever you want to get from it. Um, But thinking about it for preachers, like, I mean, we often, when we're putting together a sermon, we're trying to construct these arguments that are, you know, tight and you know, all this stuff, and forgetting that the experience of the listener out there is so different than what we hope our five-step argument is going to make to them. And what would happen if we employed a little bit more imagery and mystery into the words and let the the experience of the listener really actually guide what they're hearing from us? And if I could be so bold, maybe even the Holy Spirit working yeah. in there. I don't know. I'm not an every Sunday preacher, so uh, I'm, I'm challenging people to do something that I've also been saying. Good luck with that. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. But, um, but I'm Ryan, a, be a good guy for that. Yeah. I'm looking right now at the cover for Murmur, which I think just gets to the heart of that. Uh, and the cover of Murmur is this kudzu-covered landscape that's not particularly well developed as a photograph. And it's kind of blurry, right? I'll, gosh, and that's what it is, I think, right? Are you in the song, um, and, and probably your, our work as preachers and as public theologians is to say that reality is much more like this kudzu-covered thing. There's a lot of things that we think there's definitely something in there, but it's much more covered in kudzu than it is a thing that we can can see. Or even like the album title of their third album. You know, it was re- it was Fables of the Reconstruction, but then on the flip side of the other side yeah. of the album, it was Reconstructions of the Fables. So <laughs> which is it? What, what is it telling you? And does that change the meaning of the album to to anyone out there? I mean, uh, you know, so so for a preacher, how can you be thinking about, all right, somebody, someone might hear this, someone might hear this. How am I helping to let all those people hear what they need to hear on that day? 
so I've got some, uh, do you want me, I've got a couple of songs for this gospel too. Yeah. That I thought we could be listening to. Um, the first, you know, this is a very instructional sort of thing. Um, so I thought of off that album, I just mentioned the fables of the reconstruction of life and how to live it is this great, fast, jangly REM song. It's about like the choruses, like if I wrote a book, it would be called Life and How to Live It. Um, and so I think that's really cool. Plus it's a really strange story about like a guy who builds a wall in between his house and he has two houses inside of one. And it's this really strange story, but mainly it was just that line of life and how to live it. And it's a great like driving guitar part from Peter Buck. So if you're just looking for something to get you kind of fired up to inspired to write late on a Saturday night, um, this could, uh, this could be helpful. Um, I, uh, I thought about, and then you'll like this, Zach, I went for hope from mm. up. Nice. Um, and this is the song that they realized after the fact that they had completely stolen from Leonard Cohen. So they <laughs> gave uh, co-writing credit because they completely stole the melody line um, from uh, Suzanne by Leonard Cohen. But with hope, the thing here is, I mean, the hope that's being looked for by the main character in the song is hope of salvation and deliverance and trying to find it in all of these different things. And they even talk about like, crossing their DNA with something reptile. So I think about like, that's, that reminded me of the defilement sort of things, but, but this person's looking for hope. So they need to find it somewhere. And then there's also, I mean, there's biblical imagery too. They talk about Matthew. Um, and, uh, and even in some comments that Michael Stipes made about the song, he says he used the name Matthew because it's one, you know, it's one of the four gospels and it's a really strong name out there. Um, so, yeah, so Hope was one of the other ones. And then off New Adventures of Hi-Fi, I thought about New Test Leper, um, which actually I, I saw something confirming somewhere that, I mean, New Test Leper is actually the long form of the title is New Testament Leper. Because <laughs> the, the character in the story is this person on a talk show, and this is at the height of like, Jerry Springer in 1996. And so the guy on this talk show is just being mocked by the audience for who he is. He's just reflecting on like, how have Jesus's followers? I mean, he, the song starts off with the line, like, um, what is it? I can't say that I love Jesus. Um, but he had a good message or something yeah. like that. And he's saying like, but these people that say they've gone off the deep end, um, and, uh, and, and they're not, they're not connecting with people like me who they should be reaching out to. Um, so yeah, those are the, th the three that, that I really got to thinking about when I was thinking about this. Yeah. I can't, That's awesome. I can't say that I love Jesus. That would be a hollow claim. There you go. He did make some observations and I'm quoting them today. Yeah. And judge now, <laughs> ye be judged. What a beautiful refrain. The studio audience disagrees. Have his limbs all gone astray? Call me a leper. Call me a leper. Call me a leper. But did it say have his have his limbs all yeah. gone astray? Yeah. That's what Google I says. Have his lambs all gone astray? But how interesting is it interesting. that like somebody well, we, else... we don't know, right? Yeah. That's well, the fun thing about REM, right? Well, see, but here's the thing that happened. Okay, so this is New Adventures in High Five, yeah, so you're yeah, yeah. right. We wouldn't. But then, starting with Up, they started putting all their lyrics in a booklet 
with the thing. And I, I don't think I've ever looked at them once. Like when I first got up and I realized that they had printed all the words to the songs in the, in the booklet with the CD, I was like, Nope, I'm not looking at those. Like this changes REM is for me. I'm not looking. Lyric genius agrees with you and says lambs. Says, says lambs. Yeah. But limbs is interesting too, yeah. because I mean, think about like body of Christ, like have his mm-hmm. limbs all gone astray. Yeah. I mean, you know, so yeah, that new Tess Upper man, the drums on that song, like oh, everything about that song is so beautiful. Yeah, I love it. Oh. What are you listening to this week, man? Well, I, I'm going to be listening to this. Um, so, Chandler, you made a whole playlist, theology of REM playlist here that just looks fantastic that Zach sent to me this morning. So that's what I'm going to be listening to this week. <laughs> Good. Yeah, the other ones are my top ten. So uh... Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, so we'll figure out how to, how to share that uh, as well, I think, as part of this podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you have any? Is there anything else that you're listening to, Zach? Yeah, so I've got, I've got, got losing my religion, of course, this week. I'm gonna throw on. There's a whole list at the end of the gospel of all the evil things that come from within. Uh, yeah. And envy here is again literally the evil eye, and that just made me think of strange currencies, which seems to be like the song of someone who's got the evil eye on them, you know? Yeah, good stuff. And such a good song that doesn't seem like it should be on that album. <laughs> Are you not a fan of Monster? I am. It just feels like... You don't like the crunchy stuff, huh? No, it's fine. I just, like, when I... <laughs> it's... I like it. It That just doesn't... I don't think Strange Currency fits as well. It feels like an older Aryan song. Like, if you had told me it was off of, like, Life's Rich Pageant or Document or something, I would have believed you. Maybe without the... Do you know who loves that album? Who's that? Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, he talks about it on the Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Have I listened yeah. to that? I, I do. I'm like a little behind. Germany got. It's good. It's good stuff. But I think I got into um, I got into Accelerate too, and I feel like you were like, no, that's not the kind of REM that I like. <laughs> it's good. Now, Zach, I was wondering if you felt that Strange Currencies was from an earlier album because it's pretty much the same thing as everybody hurts except in a different key i mean it, yeah, it is yeah. the same song as everyone hurts except in a different key uh, i have true. a friend musician that when strange currencies came out he's like, eh, i'm done with them that is the same song as the last album except <laughs> instead of gd it's cf <laughs> it's not as is on the like i don't know i have I have I have issues listening to Everybody Hurts and Man on the Moon these days just because they feel yeah. so they feel they feel so on the nose like it's the beauty of REM right is this ambiguity that this ghostliness right the chorus of Everybody Hurts is pretty like Kudzu's been cut away but I think yeah I love their ability to be able to be that earnest and still to some degree maintain who they were like I thought like they could do that in an album that still had tons of mystery to it and, and all yeah. this stuff. I mean, and it, and it fits. I mean, yeah, everybody hurts is strange. I, there are not many artists who could pull off a song that earnest and not have us all just throwing tomatoes at them. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's why I don't like it. Both of them. Cause they're like the two songs on that album. 
the whole rest of that album feels so cohesive and just like of a piece, right? And like feels to me like there are two other songs that happen to be on that album. I prefer, I'm trying to think of like REM songs I've performed during worship, like as like offertory songs and Find the River is one of the first ones. I was in mm-hmm. high school and I convinced this guy at my church to learn Find the River and learn the harmonies and we did that and because uh, I just thought beautiful song i didn't really know what the message was of it. i just thought it was beautiful so why not do a beautiful song during worship yeah <laughs> the happiest i've ever been in worship was at saint paul and the redeemer episcopal church in chicago uh where i showed up for advent one and uh a choir comes out uh processing around tons of incense and they start chanting the verses to the it's, it's the end of the world as we know it uh and then uh, we get to like sing together the chorus uh and was the most joy i'd ever experienced in worship uh, <laughs> that's fantastic all right i gotta go um do you guys want to finish out pretty, or should i i think we're pretty cohesive. yeah awesome yeah well, this, i'm this is super fun thank you chandler for um yeah, being you. on it really so i and i just i just want to say so i'm a person that uh U2 is my favorite band, but I would always say that like REM was my second favorite. Like they would like, I would hold them like one hand, one in one hand and one in the other hand kind of thing. Right. So it's really interesting today to think about how odd it is to say that given they're, they have such different approaches. I mean, they're um, contemporaneous, right. They're coming up at the same time and a lot of the same like circles, but, but have such different approaches to music. Um, and that's just, I'm going to be thinking about that today and what that, what that okay. means. Well, I was at, uh, I was at the U2 show in Atlanta a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago now, and they did a shout out to Mike Mills. Cause I guess he yeah. was back off <laughs> yeah. stage. I mean, they're always, yeah. they're always yeah. going to be linked somehow, but sure. yeah, they are yeah. like the earnestness and the mystery. <laughs> like, well, yeah. And it's interesting because I, I think for me, I got, U2 brought me out of like contemporary Christian music. I think that's what I was listening to before that. And so U2 was like another step down the spectrum from that. And then REM is like a whole other step down the spectrum, I think of like, so I guess just in terms of thinking about theology and art and, um, and preaching, right. That like, there's a whole spectrum of approaches and it's, it's interesting to think about that. So thank you for, yeah. <laughs> thanks for having me guys. This is great. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for what you're doing. You know, I think, I think sometimes like we've talked about like categories of preaching like a uh, month or so ago we talked about like there was like good comfort food texts that there wasn't anything particularly like crazy or challenging it was just like pretty obvious good news um and I think maybe uh, some vocabulary we can uh, some terms we can add to our vocabulary is uh I think Sometimes you need like an REM sermon and sometimes you need a U2 sermon, uh, right? Like, uh, that you probably need both of those in your, in your, uh, in your bag there. Yeah. That as much as I might like a REM sermon every week, other people will be like, uh, that's a real pretty picture you've drawn, Zach, but, uh. And every once in a while you do a Coldplay sermon. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> you go to a church down the street for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I get a couple of socks. Well, it's, uh, this has been great. It's been real, you guys. It's been real. Yeah. Thank it's you all. Real vinyl.